Hello, family and friends, and anyone else who is listening to this podcast. My name is Dustin Oliver. This is American Youth. Um, I was very, very fortunate when I moved into the apartment that I live in now because I got bl- I was blessed with a neighbor who is a therapist. And I don't know how the universe put this into action or they just knew that that's what I needed at that time. Um, but we met when I first moved in here almost a year ago at the dog park. Uh, we There's a dog park that's like right beside both of our apartments. We're in the same building. And I was taking my dog out and her dog and my dog just got along and it was like it was meant to be. They're really, really good friends. Um, they do bad things together. Uh, they dig up things together and whatever. That's another story for another day. But she welcomed me into the community with the most like beautiful smile and just so warm and fun to be around. She is genuinely, and I'm, and she's not here, so I'm not kissing her ass or anything when I say this, but she is genuinely like one of the most understanding and genuine people that I know. Um, and she's so funny and she's so silly. Um, but we met and then I figure I learned that she is an addiction counselor and I was just kind of like completely intrigued. Uh, and this was like a year ago when we first met and I just had all these questions and I'm like, I need an excuse to like pick her brain. And then I figure out that she worked for a long time at the Atlanta mission, which, um, helps fight homelessness. Um, and so I just, I figure out all these things about her and I'm just like, this is incredible. And whenever I started to like have the concept for this podcast, I just thought, Oh my God, she is like one of the perfect people to talk to. I have to get her to sit down and talk to me about this. And I asked her after swooning her dog with treats and compliments and she agreed to do it and she was happy to do it and she even canceled volleyball plans to come and do it with me which I'm so grateful for but um just is really really great she really is and so I'm really excited for everyone to hear this conversation we get we jump right into things um so we kind of just get going I mean I had so many questions that I was like I can't keep you here for like four hours because we would both lose our minds. And if anyone were listening, they would definitely stop listening by then. But I was able to keep her for about 45 minutes. Um, So we talk about um, addiction and more specifically what it's like to be, or what a person who is either a family member or a friend should do in order to support somebody who is going through an addiction. Um, She touches on the, the best ways to go about it. She touches on, um, PTSD. She touches on, you know, how we can help support our combat veterans. And we even get into a talk or we get into a talk about halfway through the conversation about homelessness and what it means to be homeless and how somebody um, encounters experiencing homelessness. And that was something that I just think is really important because I think that we've just as a society, we have these concepts that people who are addicts or alcoholics are bad people or that they don't have or that they're just doing these things to hurt others and they don't i think a lot of times people don't understand that this is not something that a lot of people can help and it's the same way with homelessness it's it's people i think that there's just the idea of oh so and so just needs to get a job and i just it's not that easy and i thought in my head i was like it's it can't be that easy so i was like let me sit down and talk to her and go into how this happens how we can be useful and what we can do um 
And so if anything, I just hope that this is useful to anybody or helpful or may help somebody understand something or understand another person. And I, don't, I mean, I don't know. If anything, I'd just sit back and enjoy it and maybe laugh a little bit. I don't know. But anyways, uh, so this is my conversation with Jess. well Dustin <laughs> I know you are you were you were just telling me about this diet that you're doing Ooh, How, how's that wait what is it called again it's the whole 30 okay and it's less emphasis on the diet portion and it's more it's supposed to be a jump start into a lifestyle okay I did not commit to that entire lifestyle portion yet mm-hmm. but you know, I think it is a good way to start the new year. Yeah. Well, new year, new you. I mean. <laughs> you know, and I always thought that was such a corny line, but like this year I was like, you know what? No. New year, new me. Embracing it, yeah, are you? Yeah. I got a new wig. I did all that. Um, so it's coming in well. That's good. Um, That's thank good. you. <laughs> Mine's going all right between sugar withdrawals and missing Coca-Cola, mm-hmm. but. Yeah. You know, God bless Coca Cola, and mm. we live in Atlanta, so it's, it's like it's everywhere. Thing. There's mm-hmm. even a huge building on the, like that says Coca Cola on the top of it. I noticed it today. <laughs> I did. Um, no, that's funny. Um, so you're a therapist. I am a therapist. What yes. are um, your like qualifications and stuff? Like, what are your degrees? What did I do to to do it? Yeah. What, what did you do in order to be given the amazing title of therapist? Well. It really all started by me going through the therapeutic process. So being crazy is a Mm -hmm. really important credential. Um, I'm there. (laughs) Good, good. You're on your way. Um, But I actually pursued my master's in clinical psychology, science in clinical psychology, and an emphasis on multicultural. Um, From there, I got my licensed professional counselor, credential and so team lpc yeah mm-hmm. there's a little rift between us and social what workers, does lpc stand for no License? shade social workers so no shade social <laughs> yeah, workers yeah. they hate you now um <laughs> wait what, what is lp license professional counselor okay oh that's a cool so, acronym it's a long road um how long did it, how long did it take one. you to get that so it takes three years postgraduate Mm -hmm. Um, which essentially means that you practice under someone who's fully licensed, either a counselor, psychologist, in some cases, a psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. And then, so like, who did you practice under? Like just a a licensed therapist? You you sat in on therapy sessions or? You don't really sit in. So I sat um, under a psychologist for my supervision sessions, but she just kind of gave me guidance on how to best facilitate people's getting their own awareness. Mm-hmm. So you you kind of just case conceptualize with someone. You present your diagnosis. Um, if that's applicable, diagnosis matters way less than we think it does. Um, and you talk about whatever circumstances somebody brings into your office and how you're helping them find resilience in those things. And so how did you, I always wonder like, how did you, at what point did you say, like, I want to be a therapist? Like, what, 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 what was that moment that the was, click. if you had one that was like, I want to be a therapist? The click. So going back to the, that, like, initial credential of 
going through the process myself. Um, I actually had two majors in undergrad. One was broadcast journalism. And oh, was, that's what I, that was what my major was. Good choice. You mm-hmm. know, great, great minds. Um, and I kept that major, but I started to experience a lot of problems during college, um, primarily an eating disorder, which, you know, was was my reaction to a lot of trauma from childhood. And sorry if that's TMI, everyone, but it's... No. I, <clears throat> it is what it is. Speak your truth. It's, it's the truth. And um, so my college volleyball team actually put me in a place to receive treatment so I could maintain my athletic scholarship. And at the time, my motivation was solely just to keep playing ball. Um, but it actually turned into a process that saved my life, you know, and, and that was something that I was so grateful for. And I just wanted to learn more and more about it. And it, it became something that I just gravitated towards. Yeah. So it was something kind of like, you're like, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. You feel feel that kind of the purpose as Mm -hmm. opposed to. Just the choice to pursue it, it, it seemed more as a purpose. Yeah. And so it's it's a really great job. I love it. So what exactly do you do now? Well, I know that you have like some experience um, that I was like particularly interested in with the Atlanta mission mm-hmm. um, that is, you know, fighting to end homelessness. Mm-hmm. Um, but also you you work it, what what exactly do you do now? That you did that what you left the mission how like a couple years ago? I left the mission seven months ago. Oh, oh my god! I know. It's, I'm it's sorry. Just, I guess it's I, I gone not by be, slow. I could not be a therapist <laughs> because I literally like people talk to me and I hear them and mm-hmm. I understand them, but the, the time lapses are just like you know. Well, don't worry. We have timelines. We write them out with clients. Okay, so it right. really it really helps that process. <laughs> Maybe I should just do that with everyday interaction. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll work on that. Complimented shirt today. Okay. Um, But no, so what what exactly, you left about seven months ago. What are you doing now? So, and I left primarily because another opportunity presented itself that focused on addiction. And Mm -hmm. that that is really um, at the heart of where my passion is. And that means working with every member of the population that suffers from that. So it's not just teenagers. It's not just adults. Um... But yeah, I got the opportunity to start working full-time with BX Acorn. And that's a treatment facility here in Atlanta. Um, and I do intake coordination for them and initial treatment planning. So I'm like the intake director. Yeah. So what, what so now like addiction is such a wide topic that like mm-hmm. I want to cover. I don't know if I'll be able to cover as much as I want to. It is a big um, topic. It's a huge topic because I think it affects it affects so many people Mm -hmm. and even if you're not personally affected by it i feel like you know somebody who Mm -hmm. is um whether it's like necessarily like a really severe case or it maybe hasn't reached that point yet Mm -hmm. i'm I'm not sure um what first thing i want to talk about is uh, there's so much like backlash maybe Mm -hmm. i'm just seeing a lot of negative things and i'm paying attention to them but there's like a lot of backlash about people that don't really understand the concept of like what what addiction is Mm -hmm. and what it does to the body and the fact that like it is in fact you know a disease Mm -hmm. um i know that it's classified as a disease um so what what exactly is something that you deal with because you you into you deal with new patients right Mm -hmm. so what is something that you deal with not only just from the patient but from 
like the family members, the friends, like what what's the kind of reactions that you get from people? And I know you can't talk on like a case by case basis, but like we won't be giving names. Yeah, no, don't don't. You don't have to tell anything about anyone. Um, yeah. Well, you can't, but um, <laughs> but no. So like, what is something that you get? What's a big struggle that you have with family members that just don't understand the concept of like what it means to be an addict or, you know, to be addicted to something? Well, so there there was a lot in what you just asked and shared. Um, first, I'll definitely verify that it is a disease. There are neurobiological differences in the brain of someone who is an addict or an alcoholic from someone who doesn't have that diagnosis. So it's it's a legitimate shift in the neurochemistry. Your dopamine is reinforced to a point where you have formed a psychological, sometimes physiological dependence. And so that kind of helps us gauge where someone is, um, both the American Medical Association as well as the American Psychiatric and Psychological Associations show three different categories of addiction. You have your minor, your moderate, and your severe. Um, The type of clients I typically interface with are always in the moderate to severe range. So when you see someone in your life or you yourself are experiencing possibly a minor addiction, that that might look like a little bit of flakiness Um, saying you're going to be places and and not showing up because you're hungover or because you got high and didn't intend to. Oh my God, because I got high. (laughs) Like that whole thing, yeah. Been there, done that Yeah, I I was going to say, oh my gosh, you're talking about like not doing things because you're hungover and Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh my God, that's Mm -hmm. been me so many times. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's just, and it progresses, um, not in all cases. and, And it's, there's a lot of, different things that either prevent an addiction from forming or kind of urge it on. And that can be anything from circumstances to the individual's ability to plug into their support system. Um, So yeah, I don't know if that kind of answers your progression question, but I think it's so important to destigmatize and recognize that when we deal with addiction, we deal with a person trying to combat an illness that's out of their control. So yeah, and I think that's, I think that like the first step to anybody understanding this, because I mean, there was, there's, so recently, like more specifically, we've had um, like Mac Miller passed away mm-hmm. um, due to an overdose. Yeah. Um, and then there was, I just saw a lot of backlash about that. And that was last year. Um, and then we had recently Demi Lovato mm-hmm. had the very the relapse. public relapse, which, you know, I think it just, I just, I feel, I feel for her because I just think that, you know, there's for anybody else to go through that situation, you know, it would have been dealt with and it would have been mm-hmm. the family, but for her to go through it, she has all this like public sig- scrutiny st- yeah, scrutiny and just stigmatization about kind of her going through it. And a lot of the comments and stuff that I read was from people that I honestly feel have never had any. Experience. I don't know their details, but yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think they've ever had any experience in anything that has to do with like dealing with an addict or yeah. being an addict themselves or understanding like what that's like. You know, I just the the initial reaction reaction of why don't you just quit mm. is just something that I think needs to be like completely debunked. Absolutely. And like what you've said, like it's like a it's like a physiological response like, that's res- out of your control mm-hmm. so i mean just like i think that the initial realization that this is not something that 
you're just, well, I'm just going to keep doing it just because, you know, I want to, you know. Absolutely. So that power of choice is an element that our society really overemphasizes and there's really no science behind it. So it's, it's definitely a case where I don't think that any one person should ever look at or, and, and judge because there's no benefit that comes from that. Yeah. So to, you know, Demi Lovato or anyone in that situation. You know, I just, I just picked them support. just because they've been like the ones that I think people have seen very publicly. You Absolutely. know, I know that there's other situations and there's other people, but just the first that come to mind, you know, and the people like, and it's, it's funny because like behind you on my wall, I have like a framed record of Amy Winehouse mm-hmm. who so publicly, you know, just kind of, yeah, suffered and went through all this, all of these things. And I just, I just feel like the, the reaction from the public was just like, oh, she's, you know, she's crazy and she's, she's this choosing and she's, this she's, over you know, and like over. she's living this life. And, and I just think that there's so much more to it than that. And I think that the first way that anybody could understand and try to help, you mm-hmm. know, someone going through an addiction is to understand that it's not a choice. Well, and that that person is <clears throat> likely beating themselves up over living in that cycle. Yeah. Because that's the element that we always miss. So instead of, you know, bringing our own judgments, bringing our own predispositions and perceptions into the picture, ask yourself, like, how can I help and support this person? Yeah. Right? I think that's a great place so to start. So with that said, I think what what is a good way to help mm-hmm. and support someone? What If you have a friend or a loved one or anybody that you kind of think like this is not normal mm-hmm. um you know what what is the best way to kind of I know, I know that it's not good to just be like hey you need to quit right you know I, what is the best way to support somebody in that aspect so that's a great question and I think the best thing to do is to let them know that you see them and to make that approach on the level of hey I'm just wondering if everything's okay with you it, it seems like some things might be going on with you or you know, are you okay? Yeah. Um, Just inquire about how they're doing. Absolutely. Because, you know, how we're doing very much impacts what we're doing. Yeah. Oh my God. That's a really good way to put it. I never thought about that. Um, so, I mean, I think it would be the initial response of, are you okay? And then what, I mean, what is, at what point do you decide, okay, we like, we have to do something about this. Mm. You know, I think that it's just so simple for people to be like, well, they need to stop. And like, you know, I don't like them anymore. Blah, blah. I mean, what's right. something that even if you're struggling with a family member and I mean mm-hmm. like struggling in the aspect of like you're they're affecting you in your life. I mean, what is something that you what what's the approach to that? If there is a, you know, a correct approach to that. So the biggest thing this conversation needs right there is the B word, it's boundaries. Mm -hmm. So it's like when someone in my family system is starting to struggle to a place where it's impacting my serenity, to a place where it's impacting my resources, a lot of times in active addiction or alcoholism, um, it starts to be a situation where a family member might take money. Like I know I did in my active addiction. and it's, it's calling the person out in a confrontational but loving way. So the confront support um, and also setting boundaries moving forward. So we cannot control anything outside of ourselves. And it's making very clear to the person that you're there when they're ready to seek help. 
but you cannot continue to contribute to the way that they're treating themselves. Yeah. Kind of phrasing it that way. And, and also I'd say for any family or friend going through a situation involving addiction, whether you are the person struggling or the loved one, it's always important to reach out for support. Yeah. No, yeah, I think that's, <clears throat> that's really well said, yeah. Um, you, wow, that was good. Um, <laughs> but no, I, um, so I think that in, like, to, to simple it down to, like, you know, a couple sentences is, like, that. I, I like that word boundaries, too, is just kind of being able to set a point to be, like, okay, this is a line that I will not cross with mm-hmm. you. Um, well, and it helps that person see that you're taking care of yourself. So while someone might have an initial negative response to you mm-hmm. setting a boundary, um, again, I know that I did in, in previous years, um, it's it's really the best way is to live that example because it shows that person, okay, maybe I'm responsible for myself. Yeah. I mean, and then also I think it you, if, if you're somebody who's in a situation to where you're having, <clears throat> excuse me, you're having to set boundaries. Mm-hmm. You know, I that's hard. Yeah. So for you to like do that and go through that, I think that you what you just have to have the faith that you know hopefully this will come out. The faith is important, and when that's not there, that's why the support is essential. Because yeah. boundaries being set, that typically means that it's a change, that it's something new that you haven't been acknowledging in your life or it's it's um just a new path and so you need support whenever that happens none of us are meant to do things alone yeah so what in your workplace specifically so you Mm -hmm. and like we i know we said this earlier but you deal with a lot of intake what what are like some of the regular challenges that you have like as far as i mean as far as like having the patient is this typically like a situation where the person coming in is consenting to what's going on or is it like I legally mean, they have to consent oh legally okay <laughs> yes because i'm yes. thinking we're not a mental health hospital yeah. um okay so and i do i also see clients in long-term recovery so that that's an important aspect to acknowledge because it really helps balance what i do um seeing people that have made it through their first year of sobriety and then they're they're thriving, they're loving life. Like that for me personally is an important balance because, you know, this field is something that, um, well, we fight some losing battles. So to prevent from getting discouraged, like you got to keep that perspective. You have to keep the balance of kind mm-hmm. of people that you've worked with that have overcome this and that, you know, are living and working to, mm-hmm. you know, be a normal person I yeah guess. <clears throat> absolutely and and to even thrive like yeah, that's that's our goal to do always. well yeah yeah, yeah. Um, um so what as far as like what do you encounter a lot of what's it like i'm, I'm trying to phrase this what's it like when someone's first coming in okay so and, and i wanted to phrase it like a million different ways but I'm yeah. like, let me just break it down to what yeah. the easiest way is when someone's first coming in like talk mm-hmm. about that first like n- 60, 90, you know, 100 days, whatever, 120 days. What, like, what is that? What does that look like? So is there a typical picture that it looks like? Or is it in some cases, there are Mm -hmm. some commonalities. Um, and, And first of all, differentiating that your first week versus 30 days versus 60 days, they're so 
starkly different. Um, everyone, when they first come in, is is scared. Is scared because change is a scary, horrific thing. And to someone who struggled with an addiction, whether that be an eating disorder or alcohol or drugs, it's like that was your constant companion. That was your gonna be there no matter what um, coping mechanism. And so it's it's this thing that you used to love that began to impact you in a way that was so negative that now you're seeking help. Um, in some instances, the family will call first um, and will give them support and then they'll kind of push a loved one in. But the presentation of fear is the same. Um, and so it's just really supporting that person as soon as they walk in and affirming their choice to be honest and, and giving them the space to do that because that's really where an individual is able to start to recognize damn, I've let this take a lot from me or damn, this has taken a lot from me, depending mm -hmm. on your perspective. Yeah, just kind of looking at it of like re like a, a hindsight of what your mm -hmm. life has been. Because mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> hindsight is always 20-20. <laughs> Every time. Yeah, no, I look, about, I look back at a lot of things that like just for myself that I've done or experienced and I think, you know, if I would have known this or that, Mm -hmm. But it, it doesn't even necessarily matter like if I would have known that because I wouldn't have learned it if I didn't go through that experience. Absolutely. Um, so it I, takes what it takes yeah. every single time. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that, I mean, I'm not an expert. Um, uh, that's why I have you. Um, oh, man. <laughs> and I'm never letting you leave. Um, but, um, but no, so I just wonder like what you, I guess, so in the beginning, it's like you have to let that fear kind of go away you have to be rigorously honest mm -hmm. um, and acknowledge that it's there normalize that it's there because I think the biggest hindrance to so many people is this um, notion of I'm just not ready um, and so it's acknowledging that it's there talking about where your life has been the past six months because that's usually before you come in my office the past six months has been a period where your addiction has accelerated um, and mm -hmm. so that's a, it's just a good perspective gain for me and the client mm -hmm. and the client's perspective is the most important. Yeah. So, and as far as like when, when someone's going forward and doing something like this, what, what is it that keeps them like going and wanting to do it? You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Because I think what, at when you go in to do something like this and you make this change, uh, huh. What is it that keeps you saying like, okay, I'll keep doing it? Like, what? what That's such what, a good what question. What stops from? I'm thinking, just fist pounding you what, on that. <laughs> what stops somebody from being like, okay, this has been cool. This is great because but I'm going to go back. This is actually a question that's supported by so much empirical research. And the answer to it is hope. You have to facilitate hope for someone on a very personal level. It's what's going to help them go through the hard tumultuous times ahead because parting ways with that coping mechanism, even if you realize like, man, that was horrific for me. Yeah. It's not possible unless you have hope that tomorrow's going to be better, that next year could be good. Like yeah. you could be alive for that and you can have the relationships restored that were damaged, um, that, that you can just feel better. 
So you got to start building that hope from the first interaction. So, and I think a lot of times where that comes in, you mentioned earlier about like you ha- like having like long term patients and stuff mm-hmm. like that, and people that I guess what you would consider to be like a working success story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't want to use the word success story too heavily, <laughs> but I mean that's something. Do a lot of your clients interact with each other? Like, do you have mm-hmm. older like? older clients that have been you know in the program yes. or whatever you guys are doing longer and then they come back and kind of say this is what absolutely you know it's the coolest thing um actually a guy that i've i've worked with and that our company has worked with for a long time he had ptsd um in addition to his addiction which is not uncommon and and we should hit on that later um but he came to me this past Thursday night. And he was just like, I can't wait to share my story. Like, and for him to say that, it's just a huge, huge, incredible thing because, you know, he did have a fear of people. He did have such an intense fear of judgment. Um, and, and he was on heroin for a really long time. Yeah. Um, and unable to really capture that hope. And so it's just, it's just a beautiful picture of how once you've been given that gift of hope and like some, some consistent sobriety, you can't wait to give it away. So, yeah. so we absolutely it's have like that you, you've, you've gotten a gift and now you just, you want to give it to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, that's really pretty. I know, I almost <laughs> cried a little well, bit. I mean, like, like I, I go forward to say the next thing and then I'm like, let me just like recap on what I just heard. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, so as far as like, and you mentioned like PTSD and stuff, does mm-hmm. that, I, when I hear PTSD, I think of combat like, veterans. Yeah, veterans is what I think of. And so I, what is, if, if you know any like statistical information or anything like oh, that, like yes. of like people who go into like active military situations and come back, like what, what is that, what does that look like? Well, if you've been in an active military combat scenario, you have most likely incurred something that has jeopardized your experience of life or you've seen someone else lose or almost lose their life. And right there you have the criteria for post-traumatic stress syndrome. So yes, that population is at a very high risk for PTSD, but in general, PTSD has a 75% correlation with addiction. And post-traumatic stress disorder is something that doesn't just come from active military combat. Like, it's something that stems from childhood trauma. It's something that stems from, you know, an attachment disorder that has been continuously repeated in new relationships. So that means, like, any scenario where your expectation was crushed in a way that really made you question life yeah so that that to me is something we can't ignore because that's why facilitating hope is so important does that does someone having ptsd and someone not that Mm -hmm. you're dealing with and it you know does that change the way that you Uh um kind of what's the word approach them yeah (laughs) does that change everything or is it a minor thing or It does and it doesn't. Um, So every single person, especially people, um, you know, that are struggling with an addiction or just struggling with any shame evoking scenario, you have to give them unconditional positive regard. And what that means is you just love them. 
Like there's such a lack of that in our society. There's such a lack of that on a self level. So for every single person, you start loving them as soon as they walk in and they won't believe you when they first sit down, but it's a consistent thing. Yeah. So well, and then they get to know you and you get to know them and mm-hmm. yeah. Absolutely. And what they say doesn't change their value. What they've been through doesn't change their value. Um, so it's, it's always giving that. Um, but if someone has very high PTSD, because just like with addiction, there are different types of PTSD. There's complex, there's bereavement related. And so if someone has been through an experience where, you know, their life was jeopardized, where I've worked with people that were sold into sex trafficking. And so in those instances, you have to be very, very careful to maintain spatial boundaries. Um, And then eventually, I've had a client that had been through so much sexual abuse. And for her last session, we worked together for a year and a half, and she's doing really well now, which is just therapy works. Yeah. Um, she, She hugged me. And that was just a huge testament to how she can trust people. Now she can trust like, I don't know, she she just, I wish you could have seen when she first walked yeah. into my office versus like And the reaction the now. So what with, with, with something like that, what do you have to say? Is there any comment that you would have towards anybody that would kind of be like, I don't really do the whole therapy thing. Like I don't, I don't believe in the whole therapy thing. Or maybe even somebody who's like, yeah, I've been a therapist. They don't work. You know, mm-hmm. what is like, what is something that you would say to that person about therapy? I mean, wh- how important is therapy? I mean, for me, therapy is undoubtedly what saved my life. Like I was extremely underweight and and doing a lot of drugs and, and wouldn't be here today. Um, but I would say, and I say this to every client, you know, within that first session, therapy is a lot like dating. Okay. Oh Lord. Well, I haven't done that either. So, (laughs) oh, well then, so basically you're going to have chemistry with some therapist and you're not going to have chemistry with other therapists. It shouldn't necessarily work with everyone, but it's finding a personality that, that you mesh with. And it's the therapist's job to facilitate that. So it's, the pressure is not on you. So it's, it's not like dating in that aspect. Um, but it is like dating in that you might have to try a few therapists before you find someone on your same vibe level, before yeah. you find someone with a framework that really works for you. Yeah. I mean, and I think also that like things that you've touched on of like personal, like, you know, eating disorder issues and addiction mm-hmm. issues. I think that that would, like, especially working in the field that you're working on, I think I would be more comfortable going in, excuse me, good gosh, I would be more comfortable going in, speaking with somebody that had been through, like, similar things that I'd gone through, you know, and so I think that puts you at an advantage to help people even more. And it's it's that careful balance, right? Um, I don't typically divulge very much of my own experience. I I have when it's going to be beneficial to the client. And only after I've really gotten to know the person. And again, it's beneficial to the client. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not about, you know, hey, I got through this so you can. No, but yeah, but, but, I, mean, but I mean, it's it makes it more, <laughs> it's like, well, nice to meet you. Let me tell you all about me. Yeah. Um, no, no, no. So I mean, I think it, it, it helps in the fact that like you can understand like where their headspace is at or you have a sense of where their headspace is at. Absolutely. Because Um, this head has gone to some really dark places um, and some really funny places. And just it helps when 
that's present because naturally speaking, you're not going to judge what's in front of you. Yeah. So I want to talk really quick. You're actually wearing an Atlanta Mission shirt. Rope. It's beautiful. Yeah. So I want to like backtrack a little bit because we mentioned like PTSD and combat veterans. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like a lot of... Yes. Keep going there. Yeah. yeah. Keep I, going I, there. I feel like we have kind of... There's something that's not quite understood right or understood about when we have we have veterans that come back mm-hmm. I, I think that and i'm not an expert on it so i could be completely wrong mm-hmm. but i just feel like from what i've heard and what has been presented and everything that we maybe are not caring in the best way that we should i mean because i feel like you hear a lot of times about someone who's who has who's home homeless and has served the country yeah and and they've served the country or they're a former veteran or anything like that like what do you know is there any like specific i I know there's like a correlation but is there any specific reason is it like maybe because they come back and they can't like with their ptsd they're not able to they can't reintegrate yeah yeah it's it's difficult the military has instigated a lot of programs to try and address that the va does incredible things but there are still people in this population that fit that, you know, former veteran has PTSD and now they're suffering. Um, now they're homeless. Now they're disconnected from their family. Um, the homelessness in our city is comprised of so many different types. In Atlanta specifically. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, that is one. And everyone else in that population, they have gone through a trauma. So right off the bat, they have some form of stress disorder. Um, So I think that's really important to acknowledge because just like we were talking about people with addictions, we look at people who are homeless and, you know, I honestly... My perspective's changed a lot working at Atlanta Mission because I thought, you know, I've I've gotten a master's in multicultural. Like I'm, I get, I get yeah, it. I get it. Yeah. I get it. I'm with it. Oh yeah. man. So I, I was so not with it. Um, and it's just homelessness is essentially just a lack of, of resources and support and i don't mean resources as in fiscally i mean resources that we take for granted in our support systems like it it starts at relational poverty and that happens when there's trauma so that's why if you have a combat veteran who comes back with ptsd and they aren't able to reassimilate into their job to their life to their family then they are highly likely to become homeless Mm -hmm. and and that's true for you know anybody who can't engage in their support systems so wit as far as like because i think there's a there's a big concept Mm -hmm. and we were talking about this earlier there's this idea that i don't know who created the idea i don't know where it came (laughs) from but there's this idea that you see a homeless person Mm -hmm. and the reaction is well why don't you just get a job like why don't you just quit yeah why don't you just quit Mm -hmm. it's that same type of thing Mm -hmm. so it's like what how how does somebody and i want to talk about reassimilation in society with homeless people with Mm -hmm. people who have homelessness as well Mm -hmm. um like what is like the, the leading factors of that like is there working with people who are homeless have you found like kind of a specific correlation with all of them that kind of Mm. encouraged or brought up brought upon like them being homeless relational poverty 
relational poverty. Absolutely. So in some instances, there's generational poverty, which we can talk about in a second. But relational poverty is an element that is present in every person I see at the shelter. Um, And I I still volunteer there. Um, What that means is they've essentially like isolated or exhausted their support systems meaning like their family and their friends and that doesn't necessarily mean that it was their choosing like that could mean that their mom was a drug dealer or that their mom went to prison or that their dad died like there's so many contributing factors and i think we see it a lot too with like lgbtq youth of being being you know kicked out or disowned by the family and then so that you know you lose that whole support system and how long you know how many how many couches can yeah, you couches surf? can you surf before you're just in a point to where it's like what am i supposed to do especially if you're really young like 18 mm-hmm. 19 and seven, even younger than that and you and you you don't know how society works you don't have yeah. those skills or that base set of, of like knowledge that tells you this is how rent works. This is how this works. This is how that works. You know I, I mean, mean, I just learned that last year, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, yeah, I know. I'm 25. I just learned it like mm-hmm. two years ago. And mm-hmm. I still call my mother and I'm like, um, so can I not pay this? Or right. like, you know, it's like, or I'll, I'll, I'll try to figure out how long I can go before they cut something before off. Before you're like, <laughs> okay, I need a loan, dad, you know? Yeah. And and so we don't recognize that those layers of, of support, we might not tap into calling our parents and asking for a loan, but we could if the shit hit the fan. Yeah. And those are elements that people in shelters don't typically have. Some do, some absolutely do, but for whatever reason, they aren't able to tap into them. So that might be a very unhealthy family. Like I've seen women run away from abusive spouses, women run away from incestuous families. And, you know, you affirm that decision because hell yeah, like that woman just did the bravest thing she could. And that's where you come and meet them and help them. You know, the mission does a fabulous job at treating the clinical and also helping support come back into the woman's life um, in a sustainable way. Yeah. So it's, it's essentially, it's like the loss of that support system of that, of a lot of like that people that we don't even realize. Like I know me personally, mm-hmm. I don't even realize like the fact that it's like, if things got really, really bad for me for some reason, I would have that lifeline to be able to call and be like, look, like. Mm-hmm. I really, really need help right now. Or if it came down to it, you know, I could move back in with them. Exactly. Or, you know, like it, it would not be in a situation. Like, I don't think that I personally would be in a situation to where I would have to be like, oh my God, I don't, I don't have any right thing. And so I think that, that like, essentially like what you're saying is I'm trying to like, you know, un- like completely yeah. understand it is it's like a lot of people that are going through homelessness are people that don't have that support system that somebody like, uh, me or like you like you yeah. mentioned like are fortunate enough to have it's 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 not it's not a lack of education I did intakes at the mission on women who would have the equivalent to mine in a degree um, it's not a lack of integrity or or working hard it's legitimately a lack of opportunity to put that work into a place that's gonna see profit yeah um essentially like i think we like we as like society we as people we need each other like we really do You're right and it's really important for like you know me to take care of like the fans and friends and family that i have and mm-hmm. it's really important for no matter what 
Mm-hmm. You know, like no matter whether somebody comes and tells me, you know, I am this or I am that or I like mm-hmm. this, you know, of me kind of being like not not saying, okay, well, I can't, you know, you made that lifestyle choice. I can't be like, you right. know, or like you're going to be like this. I can't, I, you know, because then I think you put them in a position of vulnerability. Absolutely. And I think it's really, really sad. I mean, just the main example that I think of is like LGBTQ youth yeah. is just to have like that family just to really to do that to love you no matter who you love um and to be there for you where you are at at the best capacity that you can be so it's it's not i think like yeah it's it's not like people who have homelessness or or experiencing homelessness Mm -hmm. it's not that they it's not that they don't want to work Right. It's not that they're like I've never I, seen that. Yeah, there it's not that they're like I don't want a job. I just want to be right. lazy and do whatever and drink all the time. It's like, <laughs> you know, I I don't I don't I don't think that that's what it is. So I like that common misconception we no just matter need how to common like it may be, it's just it. smash it and just yes. understand that's not even the reality at all. Absolutely. Now let's talk about a little bit about like reassimilation into society. Mm-hmm. So what is it if somebody is experiencing homelessness, has experienced homelessness, or mm-hmm. may experience homelessness in the future? I don't mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. Like what is what is something that you guys do at the mission to help somebody reassimilate into society and kind of build that foundation back up? So it's doing a good job in the initial program. It's making sure to address whatever elements contributed to that initial experience with homelessness. So it's it's addressing the clinical piece. If there is untreated mental health, whether that's PTSD, major depressive disorder, anxiety, and, and sometimes way less than than people typically think it will be a chronic mental illness like unmedicated schizophrenia so Mm -hmm. it's it's medicating what needs to be medicated treating what needs to be treated and and just using a strength-based approach to help the client see like they matter and that they have strengths that are irreplaceable and and you really focus, the mission really, really focuses on re-engaging those relationships. So it's learning that I can trust the woman beside me. Like she wants good for me, just like I want good for her. And then it's eventually doing a career assessment and it's eventually getting a job that has an income that is sustainable because mm-hmm. so many jobs are not sustainable incomes, especially for single mothers. Yeah. And, and the mission does a fabulous job at really, really filtering the jobs that are going to be sustainable versus those that aren't. Yeah. So as opposed to just not just being like, I need a job and then right. throwing, throwing somebody in per se, like a minimum wage job when you, when you know that that is not going to be sustainable Absolutely. for them and they're going to end up working X amount of hours a week and then not being able to, and to then being homeless still. Yeah. Absolutely. So yeah, I mean, I think that it's, it's it's really I just I, I hate the common misconceptions that people have about certain things and I hate that people think that oh I, that's the whole point of this is what I want because for me I don't know much of anything um I, I don't have a very particular set of skills I will not find you and I will not kill you you're doing pretty great at this um, podcast thank you so much um, but I just think that it's, it's just, it's important to under, for me to understand and for hopefully like anyone listening to understand that, you know, like the, what you've normally believed about a situation is not necessarily what it means. It's not the choice that we perceive it to be. Mm-hmm. It's actually not a choice at all. Yeah. So, I mean, things like, you know, I, and I love that you 
you know, we live next to each other. And it's so funny because it's great to be on top of you. I yes. do, Yeah. Thank you. You are right above me. Uh, if you need anything, just stomp. But, Always. um, which you're stomping a lot. No, I'm kidding. But, um, but no, yeah, I, I just think that it's, it's really, really interesting to actually sit down and talk to somebody who actually has a skill set and a knowledge base that can kind of say, this is not, like everything that you think about mm. this situation is not how it's myth actually busted. going on. Yeah, myth bust is actually mm. not how it's going on. Mm-hmm. You know, and this is, this is, you know, just like this previous idea that you have needs to be smashed because it's just not accurate. Right. And, and it's not helpful there either. You go. It's not helpful you to it. anybody. Mm-hmm. Even if you're the most selfish person in the world, mm-hmm. it's not helpful to yourself to think that way, you know? Absolutely. I mean, you have to have like some sort of empathy and compassion for other people. Or you're, a or you're a sociopath, so. which is a whole nother topic. <laughs> yes, which another I'm sh- podcast. Yeah, which I'm sure that I will like definitely have you back on and talk about yeah. other, other things. Everyone watch Dexter before that podcast happens. Watch Dexter before that Great podcast, um, which I started, but I haven't finished. Oh, it's so good. I need to finish it. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, yeah, thank you so much for sitting down and talking to me. And I'm yeah. definitely, I'm gonna, I don't think this will be the last I hope it wasn't too nerdy. Hope you guys like, you know, learned with me and I can't wait to learn from the rest of your podcast. Oh, so. you're so sweet. I know, I'm cute. Anyways. Bye, right. fam. Bye. Thank you to anybody who made it this far. I hope that you maybe learned something. I don't know. Um, so I just wanted to throw this in here really quickly in the end. Uh, I'm going to leave a link uh, in the about me uh, or about whatever section of the podcast. Um, but the Atlanta mission is always looking for volunteers, um, more importantly, consistent volunteers. Um, it's really important, um, that they have people who kind of commit to a certain amount of period, a, a certain time period to come in and, um, and to help. So maybe if this has inspired you to get out and to do something, get involved, maybe you and a friend, or maybe if you have some extra spare time or you're kind of looking for something to do to fill your day, this might be something or just being helpful, you know, this might be something that you can do, um, is to kind of go on and see what opportunities you have to kind of jumpstart and get involved. Uh, so in the comment, whatever, I'm going to leave a link to, um, the Atlanta mission website and how you can volunteer. And also I understand that there are people in other cities that are listening as well. So I'm going to kind of leave a general link as well. Um, maybe to some other specific cities about how you can get involved in, you know, your local community, um, doing something like this you know um anyways uh thank you guys and whatever time of day it is morning night evening afternoon whatever um i hope you enjoy the rest of it and thanks for listening again